Good morning, Impact. Well, Happy New Year to you guys. Has it been a happy one? What have I got in store? You don't seem too happy. Happy New Year, you say it back. I'll train you guys yet. Now, we're going to dive right in. We've got a lot to cover today. So stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to do this a little, not the reading of God's Word, but God's Word. A little bit different. I'm not going to tell you where we are because this passage is so familiar that if you know it and you remember it, I invite you to chime in when you recognize it. Just start saying it with me. Um, probably not at first. Starts out like a lot of passages do in the New Testament. There's a hint. And our little trailer we had, our little bumper, was probably another hint that we're still in our series. So you know the book, but you'll recognize this. Most of you probably have it memorized. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said unto them, and this is going to be King James, so here we go. When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's try that again. Shall we, former Catholics? Let's try that. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You guys can be seated. Gang, I want to zoom in on something there before the Lord's Prayer that the disciples said. It's probably not the typical thing that you would think that I would bring up, but it's very, very important because it's the key that unlocks the Lord's Prayer for us. And I have a lofty goal. My goal is that we would stop calling this the Lord's Prayer. Oh, pastor, that's thin ice right there. That's sacrilege. No, the reason I say that, gang, is because this is not really the Lord's Prayer. If you really want to know the Lord's Prayer, to me, that would be the prayer that the Lord prayed. At least one of them, and he prayed many, but in John chapter 17, that whole chapter just about is a prayer from the Lord Jesus. That's really the Lord's Prayer. This should be better known as the Disciples' Prayer, because it's a prayer that Jesus gave them to help them along. Because here's the question I have for us this morning. It's the same one they asked. They said, or here's the request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. So gang, as far as we know, as far as I can tell, I'll look at the disciples, and, and I've never seen one time in the New Testament where they said, Lord, teach us to do a TED Talk. Any of you ever heard of the TED Talk now? That's like the most current way to give a great speech. Every year, something different comes down the pike. Never heard them say, Lord, teach us how to build a platform from which we can launch our own mega ministry and get popular. There's no recording in here where I, I can't think of a place where the disciples even said, Lord, teach us to do those tricks. Lord, teach us to do miracles. Teach us to give sight to the blind. I'd love to be able to raise the dead. Teach us to do... They don't even ask that, but they do ask them that something that almost no church in America can get the people in the congregation to do. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, we're going to take... I mean, you got 12 disciples. One of them asked it. The rest kind of chimed in. Yeah, we really want to know that. There's an indication in the Gospels that this was asked more than once. So they're really in tune to this. And we'll talk a little bit later in the message about why there's such a disconnect between them and us. In other words, why don't we want to know about prayer? Why don't we want to know about the value of it? Why is it something that so many churches struggle with? You know, if you have a prayer team, I, I honestly don't know a pastor uh, and some have very, very large churches who has a prayer ministry, anything going on where more than 10 people show up. I don't, I don't know about it, which is a shame because that's the power for a movement of God. But first, let me tell you why I think they zoomed in on prayer. 
I believe it's because hanging out with Jesus Christ and camping out with him and doing the Israeli trail up and down and, and the Jerusalem trail there, they had to see that his miracles and his teachings and his authority and his power and everything miraculous, all of it seemed to come from one thing. It all seemed to come from his very committed, it was all tethered to his very devoted prayer life. And gang, you couldn't miss it. They could see that. If you looked at him and you looked at the mural, because you'd see before he did anything, he talked to his father. Sometimes he made it short. Sometimes he talked at length with his father. But that's the consistent, committed thing that Jesus wouldn't let anybody interfere with, no matter how many crowds came, no matter how much he loved on the people. When it was time to pray, he was alone, and he would let nothing get in the way of that. Now, I'm sure it's possible that at first the disciples might have thought that doing miracles was the key to this great movement. But eventually they may have thought that knowledge was power. Maybe they thought, look at how he teaches. He teaches with such authority. You know, maybe it's knowing enough stuff that does it. Maybe we could know as much as Jesus knows, and after that comes the power. Who knows? They may have believed that Jesus had some special anointing from his father that one would have to also get to have a great ministry. So the key is, watch Jesus when he's praying to his father. See what he says. See if we can get on God's good side, and maybe we can get that anointing. Maybe they thought all those things. But I do know that eventually they discarded all those theories for the thing in Jesus' life that was the most consistent, committed, uncompromising, and definitely valued. His time alone with his heavenly father. Now, many of us are familiar with Jesus' most famous miracles. I mean, I don't care if you're talking to an atheist. Almost everybody is aware that the Bible says Jesus walked on water. I mean, I doubt if I said, show of hands, how many of you never heard that, that, that more than one or two, probably zero hands will go up. Y'all know that the Bible says, y'all, you like that? I'm getting Southern. It's taking me 18 years. I'm getting there. Jesus walked on water. We know that the greatest sacrifice ever made in the history of the world, Jesus made by giving his sinless life on the cross. We know that before Jesus, well, we know that Jesus twice fed from one launch thousands of people. There's the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. Both of them, by the way, were bigger than they recorded. Because back then it was, only, it was only proper to talk about the men. For some reason, you didn't talk about the women that were present or the kids. So you can multiply both of those by, of those by about three. So he probably fed the 12,000 and probably fed the 15 or 20,000 in where Luke talks about it. But what you may not be aware of is there's always something that happens consistently. I mean, it may not be recorded, but it usually is. Before Jesus did any of these things, there's something else that happened first, something that was valuable to him and something that he had to do. Well, let's take the walking on the water. That happened when Jesus fed the 5,000. After that, they wanted to make him king, and they wanted to take him by force, but he went up into the mountain instead. And before he went up higher into the mountain to get away from the people that were trying to take him by force and make him king, he said to his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you there later. Why? What was he doing? He went up there to pray. And for hours he prayed. Then in the middle of the night, while there was a storm on the sea, he came to them walking on the water. We know about the miracle, but we discard what he was doing before he came to them walking on the water. The power in the miracle came from the whole, and he's up till three in the morning wrestling with his father and in prayer and seeking his father's will. And in power and authority, he came walking on the water. Before that, right before he went up in the mountain, what did I just say? He fed the 5,000, then he went up in the mountain. Well, as he broke, bread and took the fishes and the loaves and it was going to multiply and he knew that, what did he do? 
Scripture says he looked up in the heaven, looked up, he prayed to his father. He asked him to bless that, basically asked his father to multiply that. Before he went to the cross and made the greatest sacrifice of all time, the only sacrifice that could cover our sins, he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, told three of them to wait in a certain place and watch while he, what? Prayed. And he came back and they were sleeping. They didn't value prayer at that time, did they? In fact, he was heartbroken. He said, why can't you wait just for minutes? Why can't you wait for an hour with me with something so important? Then he went back and again did what? Prayed. And he came back and they were sleeping again the second time. In fact, he prayed so intense that time, Scripture says, as he wept, he wept tears of of blood. Anguish in that. Anguish. Today, many of us are still where the disciples were, I think, when they were looking at the results, though, rather than the cause. You know, I think we're still where the disciples may have been at first, where they're looking at the miracles and they're looking at the the authority and they're looking at the power and they're looking at the trappings, but they're not yet aware of the cause. At this point, they're aware of the cause and they want to know how they can tap into that. They want to know how they can value it. But many of us are not. How do I know this? Because I hear believers long all the time for the miraculous. When I hear believers ask for something they want in their life, they say, I want to know how to do miraculous things. Okay, well, there's a way, but you might not like the answer. I want to, how can I speak with authority? How can I preach so that people will be spellbinded when I talk? Or how can I, you know, I know one pastor that actually practices jokes. He told me this in front of the mirror before he tells them, convinced that humor is the key. And all these things are trappings and different things that we do, but they never look at the cause for those effects, which is prayer. I don't see too many Christians today going, you know what? I want what Jesus said. I want that prayer life. I'm so excited. Teach me about that. Now, from a straightforward reading of this, gang, I got to tell you, I believe that people have added some things to this simple Lord's Prayer, this beautiful Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, sorry, that have ruined it, that have frankly ruined it. You see, if I were to ask most people, in fact, whenever I do this, when I say right before Jesus gave the disciples, what's known as the Lord's Prayer. He was answering a question. He was responding to a request. What did they ask him? Nearly every time, here's the answer I get, and I want you to listen carefully. People say, well, the disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, right? Lord, teach us how to pray. Is that right, gang? Is that what the disciples asked Jesus? I mean, if you were awake, what would you say? (laughs) Is that, that's not what the disciples asked anywhere. They did not say, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. And there's a world of difference. There's a huge difference there, gang. Teach us how to pray is give us a formula. Teach us to do that trick. What are the six steps? Teach us to pray is something entirely different. Teach us to pray is, God, you highly value that. Lord, you, this is important to you. You're communing with the Father. We don't value that so much. How come we don't find that easy to do? How come we struggle? Teach us to want to pray because it starts there. Before it's any big deal to know how, you got to know why. Let's take this in the opposite. I'll tell you, when you ask the wrong question, gang, it's a problem. I know I went to the Siski Y last week. That's the YMCA I went to. And I kind of hate going this time of year. Why? Because it's crowded. You wait in line for everything. If you're going to swim, you got to wait. There's only three, four people to a lane. So you just got to wait for everything. That's the bad news. The good news is wait about a month is all. That's all you got to wait. Wait through January. Around February, it's pretty much going to even out again. Why? Because they're gone. 
These are the New Year's resolution people. And the Y grows to like three times its normal size. It's a metamorphosis. But then they leave. And I think they leave because, and it's the opposite of the disciples here, but I think here's what they've done. I think they've answered the wrong question. But the questions are reversed here. They've answered the why. Why are you going to the why? Well, because I'm fat. I want to be skinny. So I'm going to go to the why. Why are you going to the why? I'm out of shape. Can't you tell? I need to get in shape. That's where you go when you're out of shape. I mean, I get out of breath. That's why I'm going. But when they get there, they haven't answered the how. What I mean is this. Sometimes you'll see people swimming who obviously haven't swam before, and you feel like calling the lifeguard. Because they're halfway down the 25 yards. You go, they're not going to make it. They're drowning. They're flailing to get to the other side. And you're going, this is a newbie. And how long do you think they're going to put up with that before they go, I don't want to do this? Not very long. Or you'll see people in the weight room, you know, where they're just kind of, you know, doing curls. And, and you can just tell they're going to be sore tomorrow or dead or something. I mean, they're doing this completely wrong. And so you go, when they feel that pain in the morning, this, this may be a, literally a one-day guy. He's going to work out one time. That's it. Because he didn't answer the what. How, how do you work out? Hey, I've never swam before. How do you swim? How do you glide along like that? Find somebody, get mentored. Because they didn't answer that, they're lost. Well, it's the opposite here. We want to know how to pray. We want the answer to a formula, but we haven't answered the why. Why would I even want to pray? Why did Jesus pray so much? Why is that so important? And if we don't know why it's important and the value of it, who cares how? Honestly, who cares how? Watch this. When you and I work on the how instead of the who, we end up who knows where. I just made that up. It's worth writing down. Let me say it again. When you and I work on the how instead of the who, we end up who knows where. I mean, if you're drifting with God, honestly, it's because you're working on some kind of formula. I remember about 25 years ago, you know, when I was three, I remember that the Willow Creek, oh, that's worth at least a snicker. I was slightly older than that. Remember Willow Creek, the big seeker-sensitive movement? That was a big thing. So people were sending church leaders up to Willow Creek to train and learn how to do church to grow like that. And pastors would come back and they'd try to do it and it would be, you know, mixed results. And then five, six, seven years after that came Saddleback and the purpose-driven thing and that's still going. And they're great, great movements of God and everything. But people would go there and study and come back and here's what would happen. I'm going to be Rick Warren and I'm going to do all the purpose-driven stuff. And more often than not, that would crash and burn and the churches wouldn't grow or, or a brand new church plant would just die. That's it. Why? Because they were looking at the formula for Christianity and getting to know the formula for Christianity instead of getting to know the God of Christianity. And if you're looking for a formula with God, you are wasting your time. Here, however, gang, the disciples are well beyond that. They have noted all their lives that the bankrupt religious leaders, you know, have got, they got the rules. They got the Torah memorized. They've got the regulations. They've got the ceremony. They've got the traditions. They've got it all down. But you look at that and they go, you know what? They don't, they're, they don't have life. They don't even have a smile on their face. They're not even happy. So I don't really want what they have. I want something real. So as you watch the religious people all the time, you go, you know what? I, I don't want the ceremonies. And this is why, honestly, people look at church today and they go, why should I go? You guys seem to jump through a lot of hoops, but I don't see any difference as I watch you live during the week between you and me. So you can tell when something's not authentic and when there's no power in it. But the disciples beyond that, they've seen Jesus and they've seen you have life. You have substance. You have power, authority, and there's life change when we hang around you. So the disciples ask essentially, watch this, this is different. They're really asking, Lord, teach us to see the value in prayer. 
Maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe you don't really understand it fully. How come when I get on my knees and pray, I talk for a couple of minutes and I, I think I'm saying the right word. I don't feel like I'm connecting. Why is it different for us? God, help me, but I don't even want to pray. Teach us to, teach us to want this thing that you value so highly. Because as I look at you and I look at myself, it breaks my heart. But honestly, Lord, I don't even want to pray. Why do you want to? Why don't I? We want that. We want the abundant life that you talked about. So teach us to see the value of prayer. Teach us to discipline ourselves, to spend time with God. And yes, after that, teach us elementarily just how to pray. Don't even really know how. Gang, every one of us who claims the name of Christ, if you're a Christ follower, I'm, I'm sure that in your heart you know that the posture of prayer is the place of power. So the question is, I mean, Good heavens, why don't we pray? What a mystery. Why don't we pray? Today I want to help many of us get past that. And I think we can. In one sermon, really, we can. Half a sermon now. To the rich and rewarding prayer life and intimacy that God wants for us. Worth praying for? Kind of like Survivor, worth praying for? Worth praying for? If it is, then let's do this. Why don't we stop right now and pray that our eyes and their ears of our heart will be open. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, this is going to be simple for some, Lord. Complicated for others, God. Help them not to log this at all like any kind of formula. But Lord, open the ears and eyes of our heart and help us to embrace it as a value that you had to love and be committed to this, Lord, and to know that prayer is not a formula. It's talking to the living God like I'm doing right now. Father, just by addressing you as a born-again believer, Lord, as a shepherd of this flock, we have all just entered the throne room and we're standing before you spiritually and we have your ear. You're listening, God. What could be more valuable or worth more than that? So God, pierce our hearts with why we've never really liked this or valued it or even, or even spent time with it or even tried, Father. Penetrate through that, Lord, for no movement of you can start without prayer first. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So again, why don't we do something, gang, that we claim to highly value, that we all believe is highly beneficial, that we believe is powerful, that we believe is life-changing? Why don't we do that? Why in the world wouldn't we? Here's three reasons. It all has to do with this category, so write these down. Overall, gang, I think it's because we have complicated it. We have overcomplicated this beautiful prayer. First, we've made it difficult. We've just made it too difficult. Most people, they don't use the word difficult, but most people that don't pray much, when they come to me and they struggle and I ask them why they don't pray, their response is always the same, because it's too hard. I mean, I, I can look at a guy who's a, a bodybuilder. I mean, I can look at a, a strong man and go, it's too hard, really? You can't get on your knees for five minutes? What's hard about it? Honestly, what is so hard about it? I think it's a total dis misunderstanding for anybody to say it's hard. It ain't hard. I remember when I was growing up, I'm probably about seven or eight years old. We're playing kickball. We're out. I can still see this. We're out on recess. Everybody's noisy. We're trying to pick teams. Nobody could understand what's going on. You know, everybody's trying to shout, shut up so we can just do this. And then all of a sudden, somebody does that real loud wolf whistle. Can anybody, raise your hand if you can do that. Don't do it, but raise your hand if you can do it. Nathan, put your hand down. You cannot do it. All right, so only one or two of you. Well, I'm proud to tell you that I can do this. In a moment, I am going to pierce your ears and prove it. But 
Let me just say what happened. So somebody would let out that loud whistle, and I was amazed. I was like, who did that? And, you know, I'd find some guy who did it, and I was like, how did you do that? And he'd think it's no big deal, so he'd just, you know, blow me off, or we'd play dodgeball, and he'd throw a ball at my head, and that'd be the end of it, right? But I'd come up to him later, and I'd say, just, just, could you just show me where you put your fingers and all that? I was pretty annoying about it, because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And they would show me, and I'd end up with this. <laughs> a lot of spit coming out with that particular thing. I can, I can reach the first row. You guys are not safe. So I would do that. Well, finally, I'd work on it, and I would come to the conclusion, this is too difficult. This is too hard. Man, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put the time in. But inevitably, something else would come. A couple years would go by. Somebody else would do it, and I would give it another try. Just, just tell me. Just, just give me five minutes. And somebody else would try to explain it. i do it again. i get the same thing. This went on to midlife. I could tell you how old I am, but we're right about in the middle there. It's like midlife there. And my kids came home. Nathan and Juliana came home from school. And all of a sudden, I hear Juliana, you know, they're practicing this whistle, and it's kind of working. Nathan and Juliana are doing it. And, and, and a little bit, they're not there yet, but it's coming out. And I was jealous. I mean, I was hearing this come out. I go, my entire life, kids, you will not get that whistle. My whole life I've worked on that thing. And, and they're really getting it. So I said, what, what did you do? I thought it was genetic. I thought you had to be born with a certain kind of tongue or something to get that right. And they said, we just Googled it. We just... Looked on YouTube and saw some guy doing it and started practicing it. So I got all that, man. I got on YouTube. I found people who obviously have way too much time on their hands and are putting these videos together. Man, they will go through every step with you and tell you where to put. So I, I came up with, <laughs> all right, I can get this. Hold on. Hey, I can get this. It may take 16 tries. <laughs> there it is. Come on, that's worth something, right? Now, I'm about an 80 percenter now, obviously. That if we've done it 10 times, I'm going to get about 8 out of 10 times. But it's getting there, and I start thinking, my whole life, I couldn't do that stupid thing. Because what? I thought it was too difficult. I wouldn't stick with it. And I didn't have the precious, valuable, life-changing, Avengers-worthy wolf whistle, or whatever you call that thing. Gang, a lot of us are like that with prayer. Some of you go, I wonder where you're going with this. Well, a lot of us are like it with prayer. We've psyched ourselves out regarding prayer. And we just convinced ourselves that it's, it's only for the professional prayer samurai. You know, it's only for the meditating monks on Monty Python, you know, who walk in the robes and slay on the books in their head, and they just, they've lived a separated, weird life, and they've trained themselves ninja-like to pray. But it's not for the regular guy. It's not for the regular gal. We, we can't do it. It's hard. It's mystical. It's weird. It's different. Can't do it. But that's wrong. That's wrong told ourselves that the only ones that can pull this off are people that are special, the Billy Graham types. But it's not for just them. Here's a good, you know who it's for, gang? It's for those of us who want to know God deeply enough to stick it out a little bit, that find the value in talking to Almighty God worthy enough to try it a little bit. You seek after God, you will find him, Scripture says. So if you haven't found him, then you're like me in middle school. You're like me before that. You'll give it a little try. It won't work the first couple times, and you quit. How many of you as parents would like that with your kids? What if they just came to you and, and talked to you when they wanted something once a month, and there was no relationship with there? You want them to do, you want them to try. You want relationship. How many of you like that with your spouse? How many of you like that with a boyfriend or girlfriend? How many of you like that with your friends? And your life? I mean, you want relationship. God... Is a God of community. He's a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Relation, you were, we are made by community, for community. 
So let me tell you the second thing that we have done with the Lord's Prayer in making it hard, overcomplicating it. We have decided it's just too time consuming. <laughs> it's just too time consuming. Look at the famous Lord's Prayer. In the King James Version, and I say that for all you who carry different versions, it's only 62 words long. 62 words. Some of you are counting it right now in your NIVs. Let me see if the pastor's a heretic. I got 63. Let's get rid of them. No, in the King James, it's only 62. You're not going to come up with many more words than that. So as Jesus answers them about this prayer, he's, he keeps it simple. It was, it's never something to, to be meant to be the prayer, the only prayer that you pray. It, honestly, gang, I don't think it was ever meant to be said every week in church, rotely. Because if you just meaninglessly recite this thing while you're thinking about the playoff game, are some of you there? Or you're thinking about where you're going to go for lunch, or you're thinking, is it still raining out there, do you think? Or I wonder how cold it'll be. If you're thinking about that and you're meaninglessly going through a robotic prayer that you've just memorized, that's not what it's meant for. And I know some of you are going, well, I think there's value in just reciting this and the beautiful traditions. Well, there's no value in meaningless repetition, and I can prove it. This is not the first time Jesus taught on the Lord's Prayer. It's the second time. And the Mount of, uh, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he taught about the Lord's Prayer. In fact, this was two years earlier that he taught about it in Matthew. And guess what? It was a sentence longer. So the longer that he walks with his disciples and the more they get to know him, the Lord gets more simple in his relationship with them, not more complicated. We're just the opposite. We get more complicated. But in Matthew 6, 7, after he taught two years earlier, he said, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that their many words will get them to be heard. So how do I know he doesn't want meaningless repetition? I'm not that sharp. I'm a C guy in high school. Not a lot of A's and all. But when I read, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition, that's a clue to me to not use meaningless repetition. It should be one to you too. Just talk to God. Again, the first thing you know, it's a short prayer. 62 words. 62 words, gang. You know what would happen in, in high school if I handed in a, if they said do a report on prayer and I hand in 62 words, I'm getting an F, right? My teacher's going to look at that and go, 62 words. Wow, you put a lot of effort into this, didn't you? Not F. I mean, so we look at things and we go, you know, I wanted you to give me a thousand word essay. I wanted you to really write a complex thing. Where did prayer start? How many different religions pray? Who do they pray to? All this. We overcomplicate stuff. Are you not with me? Right? Anybody see the, uh, has anybody seen the Affordable Health Care Act? Anybody read it? Just, you know, maybe in the bathroom for five minutes. You're, no, it's going to take you five lifetimes to read it. Anybody seen the tax code? All right, do you know how many laws were made this past year, 2013? I just read this this week. Guess how many new laws were made just this year? 40,000. 40,000 new laws. I'm so glad. I'm so happy because I felt like we didn't have enough. I mean, with that many laws, I'm breaking something right now. I guarantee you, we all are. You're just sitting there breaking laws. I'm breathing, talking, breaking five laws right now. We've got to be breaking them. We overcomplicate stuff. But watch this. The longer that I'm a believer, the more I realize that Jesus might be just the only one that I know that gets simpler the longer that we walk with him. We get more complicated. But Jesus takes the beautiful, complex things of the Lord and puts them on a lower shelf for us to understand. And then when we get something like that, the first thing we do is get a ladder and start putting it up higher and higher where we can never reach it again. Not what the Lord intended at all. 
And then the third thing we do is we consider prayer heavy. Oh, it's too heavy. I mean, think about the things that finally drive us to our knees in prayer. What drives us to our knees? Very real things. We lose a loved one. We're about to lose a loved one. There's going to be a breakup. We think we might get an F on a test. There's heartache coming. There's disunity. There's arguing. There's whatever. We, we fall to our knees. We, we cry out to God. It's heavy. And if the only time that you cry out to God is when things are heavy and you're hurting, guess what? You're going to associate like Pavlov's dog prayer with heaviness, and you're going to stay away from it. Oh, I don't want to really pray. That must be something's bad that's going on. So look at the damage that we have done to prayer. Now, this is Luke 11. If you continue on in verse 5, it says, He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are here with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. That's a pretty mean friend. It's only midnight. I'm a night owl. That's early for me. But got to understand how the houses were back then. Back then, most, your typical Jewish family lived, and they were large, lived in one room, pretty small, and the place where they slept, they'd all sleep together. Mom, dad, all the kids is elevated about 18 inches off the regular floor. It's an area where they're all cramped in there. And then on the regular floor that's 18 inches down, guess who stays there? All the animals. Dogs, donkeys, everything. Some of you are going, that's gross. Some of you sleep with your dog, you go, and that's normal. Wherever you fit on the spectrum, that's a little different than us, isn't it? So if somebody's knocking on your door at midnight, you got to crawl over your wife, the kids, wake up the animals. It's a pretty big deal. So the guy's going, no, go away. I don't, you know, you're already waking people up. So let's continue. I'll tell you, though, he'll not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. He might get up because of his impotence, because he keeps trying, his impudence. He will arise and give him whatever he needs. If you keep badgering him. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And by the way, in the Greek, that's ongoing. That's active. So some of you, I, I'm sure you read that and you go, God, just doesn't work that way for me. I've sought. I didn't find. I have asked. He didn't answer. I knock. He doesn't open the door. I asked the Lord to bless me. He didn't bless me. When's, when did you ask him that? 2003. Oh, well, this is active. So literally translated, it would be keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on asking. I'll tell you in a moment why that is, because you may take that the wrong way. You may go, so God wants us to just wear him out? No, it's not about that at all. And Jesus didn't give this example so that we could know the pain and hardship of waking up at 3 a.m. He didn't say, if anyone would follow me, behold, they shall annoy their friends in the middle of the night. They shall test their friendships, especially at 3 a.m. Push it to the limit. See what they look like without makeup. Behold. No, that's not it. He did this so that we would learn that God is worth a little persistence. God is worth a little persistence. Is he not? All right, let's shift gears here for a minute. To help us with this, Jesus teaches us two important things about prayer. Now he's going to get to the how. He does give a little pattern here because these people are seeing the value, but they have no idea how to pray. So there's going to be a little bit of how in this thing. Already said that it's 62 words long in the King James, um, but note this. Jesus could have easily made it longer if that was valuable, if that was the point. He could have launched into a long, eloquent, 
flowery monologue that I'm sure would have knocked your socks off, that I'm sure would have been, that's beautiful. Look at that speech. But he, he didn't. He kept it short. And you, yeah, you and I have to ask ourselves, why did he do that? Why do you suppose he did that? Could it be, gang, I want you to really take a look. Could it be because he would rather us be like the guy sitting at the kitchen table than the flashy linguist preaching into the stage mic? Take a look. Joel Carpenter is a new Christian, so to help him pray, we've hired that super pastor guy you see on TV. God, please help my marriage. We're just really struggling right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, He who has created all things, makes the sun and moon rise at His command. I beseech you, take this woman that you've given to me as a helpmate and bring her to her senses that we might abide together forever in a purpose-driven marriage. God, I'm really frustrated at work. Help me find a new job. I ask you now, in this area of employment, thee who gives me the sustenance in an employer fashion, please guide me to something, if it be your will, that would bring you glory. My kids are driving me crazy. I, I don't know what to do. You just help me out. You have blessed me also with many young saplings, and I ask at this day that you would help me and my helpmate to raise them in the way of your word. Amen, God. And now I end this time with you, Lord, bowing before you, giving you all that you deserve in sacrifice and in sacrament. Let it be known that the Alpha Omega is pleased. Amen. God go, real people, real prayers. <laughs> no, gang, no, 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 that is not it. Absolutely the opposite of that. We think because of our many words and our flowery talk and our eloquent speech and how good we look in front of people that God is impressed, and that's not it. He's not looking for that at all. In fact, prayer is, if you write this down, it'll be valuable somewhere down the line. Prayer's primary purpose is heart alignment. That's it. The time you spend in prayer with the Lord is so he can gently or sometimes roughly nudge your heart and align it with his. As long as you go to prayer to try and align his heart with yours, you're going to waste your time. He's going to win, not you. And it'll mean you don't understand. Gang, why is it we get this right when we're little children? And we, it's the overcomplicated thing. Think of the prayers that we learn and the patterns that we have when we're young. God is great. God is good. Help me out. Let us thank him for our food. I got no help. How about this? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That one's morbid, isn't it? Got little six-year-old Sally. If I should die before I wake, no. I mean, here's another one I've heard less frequently. God in heaven, hear my prayer. Keep me in thy love and care. Be my guide in all I do. Bless all those who love me too. Amen. I actually think those are great prayers for kids. They're great, but we need to not just get them to memorize them and repeat them. We need to teach them about who they're talking to. And what does it mean that he keeps your soul? What does it mean that you are in his care? Are you in his care? Do you know him? And kids seem to get it. Most people who come to faith in Jesus Christ come to faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 18. The most common age to know him and truly be saved and embrace him is nine. Nine. Kids get it. And then we overcomplicate it. And we begin to lose sight of him. We get older, and God is great. God is good turns into, oh, magnificent triune God, 
who sits enthroned in the third heaven. Thou art good, deeply, beautifully, mercifully, bountifully good. And who are we? To, what is that? Honestly, gang, I have trouble when I went to churches or I, I hear pastors who talk like I'm talking right now, and then they go to pray, and the clock goes back 400 years. I show, whoa, 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 what just happened? Now you're Shakespeare? Unto thee, O Lord, thee? Who says thee? Who says thou? Or to, uh, who says all that? Why did you shift gears? Who are you talking to? If you're trying to make it hallowed and reverend, that's one thing. But if you're shifting into a preacher voice, then you know better than the guy on the video. It's no different. It's robotic. Now listen, there are several important things to look at when examining the Lord's Prayer and the how of it. There are many things I could have picked. This was one of the best. It's from the resurgence.com, I think Mark Driscoll's ministry. Let me give you a quick how pattern. They're all P's. It says they're the seven P's of prayer. There's only six, so they can't count, but it is valuable. I'm gonna give them a seventh one to help them out because I think they got one wrong. Number one is position. God is our Father in heaven and we are his children. You need to understand that position. You are not a hated outsider anymore if you are reconciled with God. You are coming to Abba, Father, Daddy. You don't need anybody else. You enter the throne room and he welcomes you as a son or daughter. Understand that position and you'll see the value. Understand that position and you'll see the value. Next is posture. They said praise, but I would say posture slash praise because he says, hallowed is that name. Hallowed means holy is your name. So your posture shouldn't be, what's up, homeboy? Just thought we'd chat and, you know, what's, you know, what's happening, God? He's not your homeboy. He's not your good buddy upstairs. You can be very intimate, good friends with the Lord, but he is God and you are not. The posture should be either literally on your knees or spiritually on your knees. I wouldn't recommend getting on your knees and praying while you're driving because you can talk to him all the time, but spiritually we have to have a posture of he is God. So there's a reverence in there. And praise, praise. God inhabits our praises. The first thing we ought to do is praising him, not saying, God, have you noticed how good I am in our prayers. Number three or four, however you're counting, is purpose. The purpose of our prayer should be to pray for his kingdom come. Thy kingdom done. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Instead of my kingdom come, my will be done. Remember, it's hard alignment. And if you're really praying about all the things you'd like him to do for your own will, then you're trying to align God's heart with yours. By the way, the Bible says, ask anything in my name. Jesus said this, ask anything in my name and I will grant. How many of you have tried that? Be honest. I have. When I was little, it said, ask anything in my name. What's his name? Jesus. Ah, dog, I got it. I'm going to ask for a car. I want a nice one when I turn 16. In Jesus' name. Didn't happen, man. I got a clunker. It rusted out. My feet went through the floorboard. It was not the car. I mean, it didn't work. I didn't have the formula. Well, it's not a formula. Do you know what literally means in Jesus' name? It means according to his will. So ask anything aligned with me. When you and I are lined up, you're going to be asking what I want for you anyway. And you're going to love it. It's going to be great. You're going to feel the power and you're going to be living that abundant life. But if you come to line me up, well, then you can ask away. You're getting nothing. Getting nothing. Number four is pardon. No one's perfect except for Jesus. We're broken and fallen, sinful human beings who desperately need the forgiveness of God. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive. So if you're somebody who's holding bitterness and, 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 and grudges against other people, whether it be out there or family or friends or whatever, or here in the church, or the body, then don't expect God to give you that abundant life or forgive you. Get it right. 
That's what the time of prayer is about. Number five, protection. He leads us away from temptation and protects us from evil. We need to be reminded there are spiritual forces out there. The Bible says, Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So if you think you're wrestling with your ignorant husband who's a Neanderthal, you're wrong. If you think you're wrestling with your wife who just doesn't get it, you're wrong. If you think it's, it's politics and it's the Republicans' fault or the Democrats' fault and that's the, what's wrong, you're wrong. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with spiritual principalities and powers that are very real. They're pulling a lot of the strings behind the scenes. That's the real war. That's the real enemy. That's what's out there. And if you blow that off and think about it frivolously, don't expect great power in your life. And then finally, I said there was two things about this. One was there's a pattern. And next is, there's really three things. But next is we need to be persistent. Jesus taught that we should always pray and not give up. Now listen, please hear me on this because this is where it could go south really quick. He didn't say this because God is hard of hearing. Keep praying. What? Keep praying. Remember a picture of God. He's got this time thing. This, he's weighing out our good works and bad. His beard goes down to the ground. It's all white. He's got long hair. He can't really hear. He has a lot of wrinkles. He's really out of touch. He's barely hanging on. No, that's not God. It's not hard of hearing. It's not because God needs to be pestered into answering our requests. How long do you think the whole, hey, angels, come here. This is the 20th time. He's about ready to break. I love it. No, that's not it. It's not because God doesn't want to answer us. He does. No, Jesus taught us always pray and not give up because when we pray, listen to this, our prayers carry weight every time. Every time you and I pray, we unleash more and more power from the throne of God. Let me give you some concrete examples. If you are praying for someone in your family to become a Christian, Every prayer you pray puts more and more pressure on that person to listen to the voice of God. Don't give up. Every time you pray, they're going to be wanting to hear his voice more. You give up less. Do you pray for your friends and their daily struggles? Every prayer that you pray imparts to them more and more power from God because you're being persistent. You're showing you really care. Do you have difficulties with someone at work? Do you have difficulties in your marriage? Do you have difficulties with a friend? Every prayer you lift up to God's throne brings God's power to bear on difficult people and difficult situations. Prayer is not a passive act on our part. Prayer is an aggressive, active ministry on our part. And there will be no movement, nor has there been any movement. The great awakening in this country, one and the second great awakening, began with prayer. Years of prayer. Prayer's the power. Prayer's the gasoline that runs the engine. Without it, you're kidding yourself. We'll wrap up with 11 in the following verses. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, will give him a serpent, a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will say, here's a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, sinful it means, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think the Heavenly Father would give the Holy Spirit to those who simply ask, and really mean it. How much more? What are you thinking? The ultimate purpose of prayer, it's the third time I've said it, is to align our hearts with God. 